Dr. Kidio, and in this episode, I share this space with Dr. Noreen Russell, creator and founder of Russell Coaching for Students, which uses an innovative method of coaching for a complex student, including those who have ADHD, autism, um, anxiety, and, and other learning differences. The, she's also the mom of two atypical children and author of Asking the Right Questions About ADHD Before, During, and After the Diagnosis. So I'm so excited that we've to share this space together today, uh, not only to have a conversation about everything, scholarship, resilience, and well-being, but also for you just to enlighten our listeners, um, our academics about well-being and their sports as well. So thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Wow, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, to start, would you first share a bit about how you got started in this work and the significance for you? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's interesting since we've been talking here, I've been thinking, how does the theme of academic wellness weave throughout my own work? Um, when I finished graduate school, um, I taught at the university level and um, I loved loved teaching um but it the environment i was in did not really create wellness um you know i think higher education has gone through a lot of different changes and stressors and um that was about 30 years ago but interestingly most of my graduate class has left academia to do other things mm -hmm. Um, I've been thinking about that since listening to you and how in search of my own wellness, I left my tenure track position and moved into nonprofit work, which was very meaningful. So my background is about um, gender education, psychology. And um, so for the next several years, I worked at the YWCA of the city of New York and, and did um, girls programming and then got recruited to move to Tampa, where I currently live, to run a girls organization. And then, and that was wonderful. It was amazing. Um, and then I had my son and um, as can happen, you know, having children can really be a life-changing event. I resigned from nonprofit work. And to be honest, I didn't know what I was going to do, but there were psychologists in the community who were urging me to start a coaching practice, a life coaching practice for students, middle school and high school students who really didn't need therapy, but they did need someone to care about them, someone to mentor them, someone to listen to them. And so I started the practice 14 years ago at the really at the request of local psychologists here in Tampa, where I am. And it has been uh, quite an interesting journey. What I would say is so meaningful about it to me is that the students we work with often get a lot of messages from people around them and schools, and sometimes even their parents, that they are not enough or that they are flawed in some way or that um, just not good enough 
And so I think about relating your idea of academic wellness to the students and the families we work with. It's often academics that is causing a lack of wellness in the family and in the student. And by being able to help the student with academics, we are able to restore really that bigger picture of wellness to the student, of feeling good about themselves, of feeling confident. Um, our method uses family conflict, and so family wellness is improved. So it has been um, quite a journey. Um, Russell Coaching is now the largest student coaching practice in the country, and we are completely dedicated to neurodiverse students and their families. Yes, yeah. So you mentioned that it's usually in the academic space and academics that um, can cause that, that lack of wellness and that end moments. Um, and what do you mean by that? Can you give us a couple of the clinic Sure. So students with ADHD or autism or a mood disorder frequently struggle with, um, you know, what we would call executive functioning skills, planning, organizing, getting their work started, getting their work finished, um, advocating for themselves. And of course, you know, there are other students who struggle with those skills, but that's really um, where we're focused. And what happens is that a student knows that they are smart enough, intelligent enough, that they have the cognitive capacity to do, for example, you know, AP classes in high school or dual enrollment or, you know, even on, you know, a younger level to to make it through the transition to middle school. But because of how their brains are wired and the neurodevelopmental disorders, they end up living in this space that is like, wait, I am smart. I can do this, but I can't do it because something's getting in my way but I should be able to do it because I'm smart enough. And so why can't I do it? And feeling a real lack of agency. Yeah. Yeah. So how does one find out if they are not rigid or if they speak differently? Yeah. So for many students, um, this process happens in elementary school. Their parents kind of notice that you know, they're um, maybe different from their other kids or they're getting feedback from the teacher about, um, you know, what the teacher is seeing in the classroom or possibly they have an older sibling who has autism or ADHD. And so most of the time um, for our clients, that means that they get a, um, the family finds someone to do a psychoeducational evaluation and mm -hmm. to explore the possibility of does this young person have ADHD or autism or a mood disorder or a learning difference? And so it's a very intensive evaluation process. And then, you know, the family gets the report and they can take that to school and work with school to make a plan for what the student needs. But it's, um, you know, it's different from a lot of other situations you come across in parenting. You know, there's no 
screening. There's no universal screening for ADHD or autism. You know, we check our kids' eyes annually at the pediatricians, you know. Um, And if a child has something acute happen to them, like, oh, an injury on the sports field or at dance or cheerleading, Mm -hmm. we go to the hospital and we have x-rays and we get a treatment plan. The tough thing about both ADHD and autism is that kids can kind of mask their symptoms or parents can be unfamiliar with what the symptoms are. And so they don't even realize, oh, we should be getting an evaluation. So, you know, I just actually did a a presentation for an employee resource group. And I I did a list of questions that you should be asking your teacher at the Mm -hmm middle and high school level. And one of the things that I said to that group is at every conference, you should take it upon yourself to ask the teacher, what do you see as my child's strengths? What do you see that concerns you? And from what you see, is there any reason that we should talk to the pediatrician or think about getting an evaluation? Because teachers often are not allowed to bring that information to parents. Um, and so I said, you really, as a parent, um, it's, it's on you to ask those questions of the teacher. The teacher sees hundreds of students. They can tell you, you yeah. know, if they're seeing, you know, something that seems mm-hmm. they, they can't diagnose either, but they can say, you know what, you might, you might be right. It might be a good idea to get an evaluation. Yeah, Absolutely. So how might we think about this for um, high school or college students that are that are more um, on their own or more independent, right? And the the parent isn't going to conference or something like that. What might we tell them? You know, I want to touch upon um, college students who are neurodiverse because I do think that if you, as someone you know, as a high schooler who has autism or ADHD, if your parents have advocated and you're getting through school, um, that that's wonderful, right? And I'm not saying it's easy, right? But that leap to college is so monumental for any, you know, 17, 18, 19 year old, but it is particularly challenging for kids who Sometimes their social skills are affected by how their brains are wired. Their planning abilities are affected. They can be more likely to have obsessive or addictive gaming problems. And so, you know, at Russell Coaching, we're really very strong advocates of the idea that, yes, we want students when they get to that college place to go fly. But if you know that your student has ADHD or autism and their maturity is delayed by a few years, you're going to have to carve out a different path for yourself there. And it may be that all the other parents of, you know, the college students at your student's college are letting them fly. Although certainly there's a lot of parents who are very, very involved in college these days. But your student may need more assistance. They may need more assistance hooked up with the learning center or with counseling services or with coaching. And so, you know, we 
talk about that a lot at the practice, that that transition to college is not necessarily going to look the same for an atypical student because there's so much change that happens and there are so many resources that are needed and taking the initiative to pull all of that together can be really difficult. We have coaches at my practice who absolutely love, love, love working with college students because they know the importance of higher education and they know the struggles and the challenges. We just had a student graduate from um, Florida Polytech, um, which is here in Florida. Um, it was mm -hmm. students across the country in different universities. He saw his coach for about three and a half years of his college experience. And she is just a pro at stay the course, stay the course yeah. on the goals. We're not going to get off track. We're going to do whatever we need to do. And she worked with him on, you know, coordinating with his therapist, coordinating with the wellness clinic on campus. And um, when he graduated, he invited her to his graduation. And that was the first time they met face to face. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That was a really special experience. We have students that we see all through high school, you know, for all four years. They graduate and you get to see that happen. And, and what I know is that what we do changes the student's life, but also changes the family dynamics and the parents' lives. Because most of the time when people come to us, they're not in a place of wellness. They're not in touch with the wisdom that they need. Um, you know, it can be very, very hard to find the voices that you need, the expertise that you need. And so, um, it's just tremendously rewarding work to see a student go from, you know, his parents think he's lazy. His parents think he doesn't care about his work. Um, his parents think he might not graduate high school to, you know, being in a place where, you know, he does um, through coaching and a team approach to treatment. He does figure out what he needs to do and how to do it. Um, and that's really rewarding. One of my students from several years ago um, actually went to trade school after high school and is now um, a really high-end car mechanic um, and um, is a motorcycle aficionado and just really so happy and has his life together but his parents did not think that that was going to happen in high school when he was you know smoking too much weed drinking too much yeah kicked out of school um but yeah so i resonated a lot with your idea of wellness um because we're trying to get back to that state um with our students and help them yeah. to you know be well and and be whole and, and to cast off some of those thoughts and feelings that they're not good enough or they're lazy or they're unmotivated they don't care you know yeah absolutely absolutely so I, i've heard the term uh, neurologically atypical and also neurodivergent is there a difference in the term terminology i don't think there is a difference i think that um people are probably moving more toward using the term neurodiverse um, rather than um, neuro neurologically atypical. 
I myself don't have a preference, like as a mom or a professional, um, it's important to understand, you know, if somebody does have a preference, we want to respect that, right? I, I don't particularly like the term um, he's autistic. I For myself, I prefer to say my children have autism, um, but, you know, that's just kind of one of my um, preferences. But all it really means is that there's some part of the brain that is, you know, neurologically different. It's wired to learn how to read differently, wired to learn how to write differently, um, or, you know, with ADHD that um, it has too much gas, not enough brakes. Um, so I don't think that there is any significant philosophical difference between neurodiversity and atypical. I think as we move forward with diversity, equity, and inclusion, probably we'll see more use of the term neurodiversity. Okay. Yes. And so you have two children that are neurodiverse. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. Yeah. I so what what was your journey like with that? And and how did you, uh, what was your support system? How did you cope? What did, what did you do? What was the journey like? You know, you guide me in how much um, you want to, um, to talk about this. I'm very open about our journey um, because I think that it doesn't do anyone any good to hide facts or to not own their story, right? I'm, I'm a firm believer in putting things out in the light. Um, I'm a firm believer in healing happens in the light and in being heard. So um, I have a son who's 15 who um, is very complex neurologically. In fact, you can pretty much take any neurodevelopmental disorder and drop it in his diagnosis bucket. He has ADHD, um, very, very severe ADHD. Um, he has what we call level two autism, so moderate autism. He has um, severe mood disorder, um, so really started with anxiety and has moved into a combination of anxiety and depression. Um, he has dysgraphia, which means that um, he has such a hard time writing um, and coordinating all the motor movements of writing. And um, he has developmental coordination disorder. And so he's just a very awkward person. He doesn't yet know how to tie shoes or button a button. And, okay, Dr. Keogh, and been reading at a college level since kindergarten, and he's gifted. So that is one complex kid, right? And, yeah. and what taught me as a mom is there is potential in there if you can find out how to unlock it. I think he was a gift to me um, because what he showed me was if you work hard enough as a parent to understand how your child is wired and what they need, they can, um, they can be successful. They can achieve at their potential. Um, I'm not sure that I would yet say that he's happy. He struggles with mood disorder a lot, but I think that he is in an environment where everyone cares very much about his wellness um, and yeah. a lot of decisions along the way 
to support him as he's wired. But, you know, from kind of things that, that you're interested on the show, I would say it really being his mother was the thing that really helped me develop my adult voice and my mom voice. Mm -hmm. And um, what I always say about him is that he taught me how to love. He is such a big love. I mean, he just is so friendly and so warm and so kind and has so much love to give. And um, I think really taught me how, how to love. Um, so he's doing okay. He's in um, online school and it really, really works for him. He's doing honors classes and AP classes and cranking through them really quickly. Um, and so I don't know. I don't know what will be next for him. We're going to get some job training for him. And, um, you know, my hope and dream, if for no other reason than the economics of it, is that he gets a four-year degree. Um, but yeah. um, have to see. But he's he's certainly intellectually capable. And so he has been the inspiration to me that if we can find the right supports and the right relationships, you can unlock that potential and yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then I have yeah. a daughter who is a couple of years younger. And I always say that what she taught me was joy. She was just a um, very easygoing toddler and child and um, very able to be self-sufficient, do the things she wanted to do very happy, um, kind of doing her own thing. And so, um, she is an inspiration for joy in my life. So I always say to them, you taught me love and you taught me joy. That's a beautiful story. So I'd love that. Thank you for sharing that. That is beautiful. So when you think about, um, love again, navigating this as a mother, as a teacher, as, you know, um, someone just that cares for these people, this person, or this, as a human being, human, human being in the wider context as well, you know, just humanity. Um, what are some approaches? What are some innovative approaches? What do we, how do we do this well? Right, right. I think the single most important thing to keep in mind is that your tribe or your village is probably not going to be the neighborhood moms or the PTA or the mom or the dad's club at school. You know, when we think about, you know, let's say roughly 10% of kids are neurodiverse. It could be mm -hmm. much larger than that. You're, as the parent of a kid who is neurodiverse, going to be in the minority in those settings. And, and it's possible that you will feel alone um, it's possible that you will feel lonely. Um, I think it's possible that you can feel judged whether or not that's actually happening. And so the most important piece of advice I give when I do parent coaching is we have to find you uh, a tribe, a community, a village where you can talk with other parents who have similar kids. And, you know, we can talk all day about the 
pros and cons of of social media, but this is a place where things like Facebook um, and you know Instagram have created an ability to connect with other people who are sharing experience with parenting because you know locally I will say I think it was very hard because my older one is so incredibly complex I think there were doctors who'd never even seen a child so complex I mean and so I didn't necessarily feel affirmed or supported in that realm and then of course school even though he, he loved school and we had some great educators it wasn't necessarily a space where I felt affirmed or understood either. And so I think the most important thing if you're raising a child who is neurodiverse is honestly get out there and find the virtual resources that are out there and find someone really good at parent coaching who can, who's walked this walk and can walk it with you, right? So it's not necessarily so much that I think parents of neurotypical kids need therapy, right? But you need someone to walk this road with you. When do I get a 504 or an IEP? What do I do when it's not working? What do I do when I have feelings of grief and loss? What do I do when I want to share my child's accomplishment, but we're developmentally off sync from the other, you know? And so an online community through Facebook, and there are so many so many really good ones and parent coaching are the two things that I just think are essential for those of us who are raising neurodiverse kids Mm -hmm. yeah and so what would you what a little nugget or piece of advice or uh, technique could be give to students or children or um, teenagers or whoever that are neurodiverse yeah well I want to answer that, but I'm going to go back for just a minute to what we would say to parents. Um, so most of the time when parents come to Russell Coaching or to see me for parent coaching, they are in this place of extreme unwellness. They are anxious. They are worried. They feel alienated. They often feel guilty. And one of the things that someone pointed out to me in the last year is that I always say, it's okay. It's okay. Where you're at is okay. And we're going to go from here to the next place and the next right thing and the next right thing. And on my my own parent coach page at NoreenRussell.com, because I think you worry so much as a parent who has a kid who's atypical. It's not okay. I didn't do enough. I didn't do the right things. I didn't know what to do. And so I think it's so very important that we say, maybe to any of your listeners who might have children who are neurodiverse, it's okay. You're doing a great job. You're going to get there. It really is going to work out. So um, I know you asked me about what we would say to to the students, but I really want to make sure that we get that message out to parents that, yes, it's hard and you're doing your best and it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Get some support and it's going to be okay. Thousands hundreds of thousands of kids who are neurodiverse have great lives as adults. And so, um, yeah, it's just a question of sitting with yourself through the journey. 
what do we find ourselves saying to teenagers and college students? Um, one of the things that we find ourselves saying a lot, and this is in our method because we use weekly and semester goal setting, is what do you want? What is it that you, what do you see for yourself, right? And often these days, I think any child gets a lot of messages about what they should want or what their teachers think they should want. And, you know, we are in this age of parenting that is very intense and very involved. And so one of the spaces that we create very deliberately in connected coaching is a space where we say, what do you want, right? Do you want at this school? Do you want to be in honors and AP classes? Do you want to go to college? Do you want to go to trade school? You know, and we don't do a very good job right now of listening to children and teenagers. We are doing a lot of talking to them um, and information imparting and um but what we know they need more than anything, especially in that adolescence time, is they need to be listened to and we need to be using wise questions. Um, and so I don't think this is any kind of quick tip, but I think the more we as parents can ask thoughtful, wise questions, you know, how is ninth grade going for you? Is it different than eighth grade? What do you think about the transition to 11th grade? What's working? What's not working? One of my favorite questions is, what do you wish it was like? Um, I got to sit in for a, a coach this week. Um, she's having a family emergency. And I got to ask the student, um, what was one interesting thing about his day? One thing that made him happy and one thing that made him feel concerned or anxious. Um, and you know, to be listened to, I think, is the ultimate form of love. Yes, yes, fantastic, fantastic. I have just enjoyed listening to you. <laughs> Give us all of these nuggets. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, thank you. So we have a segment called uh, Off the Cuff, and it's where people send in send in random questions. And so we asked you a random question. If I don't think we asked you a question. Yep. Okay, so a random question um, that we have, it's from Abigail in Wichita, and her question is, what are you most excited for in your next three months? So the next three months then would be in December, the new year coming up for us. So what are you most excited for? <laughs> I am most excited to be um, coming through a period of personal change and turmoil and um, being able to settle into the next stage of my life and um, for um, things at home to settle down and um, to be able to be fully present as a mom and to my partner um, who is just an amazing man. Um, and so, you know, I've been through some personal change over the last few years. And so what I'm most excited about today is um, just us being together and me being able to be more fully present with the kids. Um, because, 
you know, as a working mom and I have my own business and it's expanded a lot, you know, you're, you're pulled in a lot of different directions, but yeah. uh, it's nice because the kids both work from home and I now completely work from home. I gave up my actual real office. Um, and so um, we're having sort of a post COVID um, COVID connection at my house and it's just nice to be around them and um, get to know the people they're becoming. Yeah, that's a fantastic answer. Fantastic. Connection. Connection. That is your word. The next dream of connection. It absolutely is. Yeah, fantastic. Before we sign off, what are you working on that we can help support? The business, research, anything that we can help support. And then how can we find you? Or where can we follow you? You know, one of the things that we're looking for is just the right academic partner to do some research on our model of connected coaching. And um, it doesn't necessarily have to be quantitative research. I heard you mention qualitative research um, before we got started. But we want to find the right academic partner who can help us to explore and then document the stories of our families and the benefits of our approach, which is really unique. And um, I would like to get our approach out there in the academic literature because I think that that's something I could do that would benefit people more broadly. Um, so that's one thing I'm looking for. So if you're in an academic space and, um, you know, interested in psychological research or educational research, um, you know, we're looking for the right person to come and listen and learn about our methods. Um, I think, you know, the other thing is so few parents know that academic coaching is available for middle and high schoolers. People kind of know there's ADHD coaching for adults, but people don't necessarily know that there is ADHD and academic coaching for middle school and high schoolers. And so if there's one thing I'm constantly trying to get out, it's the idea that, you know what? Yes, you've had a tutor. Yes, you've had a therapist. Mm -hmm. Those people have played a role, but often coaching, good quality coaching is the missing link. And so if, if you have listeners out there who are, you know, in touch with middle schools or high schools and, you know, in touch with families who have a neurodiverse child, I would say just saying to them, hey, have you ever heard of academic HD coaching for kids this age? Um, And and if they haven't, then they should go to russellcoaching.com and Russell has two S's and two L's. So russellcoaching.com. And you can find all of our social um, through the main webpage and you can read about our method and who we are and what we do. Um, You can follow us on Instagram. Um, But mostly what we want is to find ways to reach out to those families who need our services to come back into a state of of wellness. Yeah, absolutely. And we will post your social and your email and everything in the show notes. So whoever's listening can go to the show notes and look for uh, Dr. Noreen Russell's information there and connect with her. Um, if you know someone or if you are the person that needs to persist or can help her, 
in any way, shape, or form. Thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. What a great conversation. Thank you so much. And as we end our time today, thank you for listening and watching. Uh, please subscribe to the show, share it with a friend, and write a review or leave a five-star rating. Uh, and follow us on our social media channel as well. If you have an idea for a show or would like to be a potential guest or are interested in learning more about Sienna and Slate and what we do, connect with us at hello at com. And we will talk to you soon. Be well.